This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Forsyth. Well, today we have a very unexciting but very important sounding document, which is the Heat and Building Strategy, which has been delayed quite a while and has been published today. There's also the Net Zero Strategy coming out today. Katie, you've had the great pleasure of reading these. Yes, and I think the heat and building strategy is interesting because obviously it sounds pretty dry, but this report has been delayed and delayed in terms of being released to the public. And I think it hits on this nervousness in Downing Street about the net zero agenda and keeping the public on side. We know that when it comes to polls on, you know, do you support, you know, preserving the environment? Do you want to stop global warming? It polls really well. People really care about it as an issue. But I think when you get to the polls on, you know, well, would you get rid of your gas boiler by this type? Would you move to an electric car? What about the current price of electric cars? It gets a little bit more choppy. And when it comes to, obviously, we're quite near to COP now, under two weeks to the climate summit in November. And uh, I think the top line from this is ultimately a new subsidy of five thousand pounds to move from a gas boiler to a heat pump so that is when you need to renew or um, you know, get a new boiler you instead get a heat pump it sounds good it's obviously sounds generous i think the problem is that the cheapest you can get a heat pump is six thousand pounds and that goes Bargain all the way the <laughs> all the way up um to over fifteen thousand, depending and it's sense it obviously depends a bit on where you live how easy it is to install so i think that People are quite quickly picking holes in this. For example, you've had Friends of Earth Analysis suggesting that the current pot of money for this will fund around 90,000 new heat pumps in terms of subsidies towards them. But the Prime Minister has an ambition of 600,000 heat pumps by 2028. So clearly more funding could come. I think what you get from reading these various documents, though, is Right now, ultimately, the government is relying on technology coming to the rescue, so industry and technology, and these things becoming cheaper within a few years. And that's why it's a start, <laughs> but I, I think that there is a sense that things should get easier as time goes on, uh, you know, and these things should become easier for the consumer. Obviously, there's a question about who does it now. I think most people, if they think, well, this is going to be cheaper in three years, might hold off to that point. James... Katie mentioned Friends of the Earth being unhappy with the the lack of ambition or the lack of money, bluntly, that's uh, behind this announcement. But there's obviously another group who have been preparing for a very long time to be unhappy. And that's Conservative MPs, uh, including Steve Baker and others, who now have this net zero watch organisation, which is campaigning against overly costly environmental measures. So is it now war? So I think what the government are trying to do with this proposal is they're trying to ensure that when people replace their gas boiler, the heat pump is essentially the same price as a gas boiler. That, that's what the grant is there for. As Katie said, that, that's not going to apply in all cases because, you know, heat pumps, certain environments, heat pumps are more difficult to install. Essentially, the more space you have, the easier it is to install a heat pump and the cheaper it is. Obviously, some places are more difficult than, than others for that reason. But I think what the government is trying to do is to ensure that when natural wastage means that someone's boiler needs to be replaced, that they wouldn't lose out financially if they chose to do a heat pump 
rather than a gas boiler. The idea is that that seeds the market, more firms go into the production of heat pumps, and that helps to, to bring down the price. I think this is a broader challenge, though, as, as Casey said, than, than just heat pumps. You know, A lot of the technologies that you need to get to net zero realistically are, as the International Energy Agency says, you know, they're still in development. They're not, they're not mature technologies yet. And so I think a lot of this is you know, how much of a heavy lifting can tech do? And I think the polling that, 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 that Casey was talking about shows that the tech is going to need to do a lot of a heavy lifting because people are in favour of taking action on global warming, but the number of kind of hair shirt environmentalists, people who, kind of, who are kind of prepared to sacrifice lots of things, is relatively low. I personally think that post-pandemic, business travel is never going to come back in the way that it did before. I think Warren Buffett's analysis is right on that. I think realistically, though, people are still going to want to fly and travel for holidays. That means you need to find some form of you know, environmentally friendly jet fuel, something that, that, that you know, a technical technology that is in totally in its infancy at the moment, for example. So these are broader challenges. But you know, the home heating is going to be one of the hardest bits of the net zero puzzle to solve. And I think that you, know, you can say the government today has made something of a start, but the, the idea that this is the final answer is not realistic. Yes, James, you mentioned the hair shirt brigade. Well, Boris Johnson has got his own version of this. He's been talking to the Sun this morning saying the green shirts of the boiler police are not going to kick in your door with their sandal clad feet and seize at carrot point your trusty old combi. Katie, this language is going to annoy some people in the environmental movement who have previously got upset that he's been talking about, um, what was it, mung bean eaters or something like that. Yes, and I think it's obviously deliberate from the Prime Minister. You've heard Boris Johnson, I think it was several years ago now, you know, a book launch talk about how the original eco-warriors, Margaret Thatcher, not Greta Thunberg. And I think there's a conscious effort to try and disassociate the green agenda with Extinction Rebellion protesters who people perhaps associate with, you know, stopping their journey to work or ensure that Britain and instead to try and suggest it's a mainstream thing that isn't going to massively disrupt your life. And I think you can see that in the interviews today. I think what's interesting if you're kind of looking for where this is going is a few things. Firstly, if you look at the boilers so this plan to end all gas boilers by 2035 that is an ambition it says you know this is something we're aiming to do it's not actually a hard line on that and then I think when you're looking more widely at where this is going we've all just been at Tory conference every second fringe was on net zero and how you get there I think we all chaired various panels related to net zero or spoke with them and if you ask a minister whether it's you know on broadcast at Tory conference, you know, what is the cost of net zero? Effectively, I found you're told, well, that's the wrong question. That's not what you should be asking. Um, You know, we should instead be talking about, you know, all the new technology and all these things. And one of the things we're getting, we're supposed to be getting today is the treasury analysis on the cost of going green. But no one is expecting that to have a net figure. And I think if you go back to obviously Philip Hammond, I think he was the last person to try and put a figure on it. And that was when he was almost, uh, as Chancellor, being quite sceptical of Theresa May's plans. And I think behind the scenes, you do sense there is tension now with, with the current number 10 and number 11 in terms of this green agenda. You hear, you know, reports of figures in the Treasury, uh, you know, concerned that the Prime Minister, you know, isn't quite grasping how drastic some of this stuff is, which is why I think we're not going to get straight answers in the lead up to COP on the overall amount. And that's in part because the government don't have that conversation, but it's also in part goes to the technology point, which is the hope is it just does get a lot cheaper 
James, we've been talking about exciting new technology, and this may be very exciting for people in the green sector and the Conservative Party, but technology seems to strike fear into another part of the public sector, which is the NHS. Today, NHS Chief Amanda Pritchard has said that a fifth of NHS trusts in England are largely paper-based. This is quite a surprise, isn't it? I don't think it's that much of a surprise in that the NHS is quite known for not being particularly tech forward. I think a few years back there was a story that the NHS is the world's largest buyer of fax machines, still a technology that that, that, that most people have have moved on from. I, I think what this reveals is the huge amounts of efficiencies and possibilities that are not being taken up because the NHS is so is so backwards on technology and when you think of the challenges and the problems as, as you know well from the, from the book you're writing as well uh, available in all good bookshops soon it, uh, look at the challenges it's facing with dealing with the backlog and all of these things you are going to have to improve the technology that, that is used in, in doing this in terms of you know you cannot manage such a large backlog I think shuffling pieces of paper from, from one place to another I think it, it is a recipe for inefficiency it's a recipe for problems such as you know someone is meant to be having surgery but they haven't had their Covid swab done so they can't have surgery so the surgeon is sitting there unable to operate they've got a limited amount of time in the theatre that's one case that doesn't get done that's a bit of the waiting list that doesn't get reduced I also think it's particularly personal at the moment because there is clearly a problem growing at the pace at which the booster campaign is going these third shots for elderly people who are more vulnerable to COVID and I think this concern is mounting because the cases are going up right now hospitalizations are going up not as dramatically as they did in the previous waves the vaccines are still having an effect but I think one of the worries is that there are some early signs of waning immunity affecting the UK and if that waning immunity really starts to kick in then I think that the NHS is in a much more difficult position and the government you know we know the government has this plan B involving much heavier you know quite really quite broad use of vaccine passports and like you know the government will be pushed down that alleyway and I think that that is a, a problem I think the, I think there's also another issue here which is goes to a broader point about data in the NHS you know there's, there's this lab in Wolverhampton that that was telling people that they were negative for COVID even when they were positive I think how long it took for that to be spotted when there was lots of media commentary about why are people getting one result from a lateral flow test and another result from a PCR test again suggests that data management in the COVID response is still nowhere near as good as it needs to be. Thank you James, thank you Katie and thank you for listening.